Hello, and thank you for joining the Aaron Werner podcast on iCode Media. Today I talk with Katie Lauer about an article that she recently wrote in the Optical Women's Association uh, about her experience and uh, overcoming challenges. It's called Creating Positive Change in Your Life. It's a fantastic article, and I've had a chance to work with Katie for the last couple of years uh, in her role over at GPN. Uh, Fun discussion, hope you enjoy it. We want you to be part of the conversation by leaving a comment, sharing with a friend, and leaving a five-star review. And of course, also be sure to support those who support us. In the past, our focus revolved around prescribing MacuHealth or MacuHealth Plus to patients at risk of macular degeneration, while also recommending it to collegiate and professional athletes for enhanced contrast sensitivity and sports performance. However, this year's introduction of the Life Meter has been a game changer. The life meter revealed a concerning truth. Many of my patients have alarmingly low skin carotenoid levels, indicating potential deficiencies in essential body tissues like the retina and brain. Supported by over 30 peer-reviewed publications, life meter's accuracy, consistency, and effectiveness has been demonstrated across 2,000 subjects with diverse backgrounds. With this newfound insight, I can now have meaningful conversations about carotenoid levels with all of my patients, even those who may seem outwardly healthy. To learn more about this empowering technology, feel free to contact your MacuHealth representative or click on the link in the show notes. Together, let's optimize patient care and elevate their well-being. All right, Katie, we are off the cuff. Um, so, uh, excited. We've talked about, uh, about getting on and chatting for a little bit, and you and I have got a... Uh, have had a chance to work together for a number of years now, um, yeah. and uh, I'm glad we made it happen. And before we jump into your story and why I'm excited to talk to you, who are you? Where are you from? Let us uh, give us the peek into Katie. Yeah. Okay. So I'm Katie Lover, and I currently live in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. Um, this is where I was born and raised. Spent some time away for a while, about 10 years in Asheville, North Carolina, which is where I started my career in optometry and uh, moved back just about three years ago. So we're back in Virginia. Love being back here. Um, so I'm an optician and got started, God, it's been 11 years now. Um, so started in Asheville and w had no experience with anything optometry related at all, like except for the fact that I wore contacts and glasses. <laughs> it's oh, literally the extent yeah. of it. <laughs> um, but, you know, got started in, in opticianry down there, and um, things have just kind of evolved over the years to bring me to GPN. Um, so I am currently at GPN Technologies, so moved from in the practice to the vendor side, and I am their chief revenue officer um, and basically work with everybody from day-to-day, -day, you know, doctor clients to our partners with our vendor relations. Very cool. Awesome. And, uh, and I'm a proud Edge Pro user, so that's not what we're going to focus on today, but uh, <laughs> that's where I get to, to work with you and, and chat. And uh, I will say on the, the business understanding metric side, you are a, a wealth of knowledge and a genius. So Thank I've benefited <laughs> greatly from getting to work with you, and I know others have as well. Thanks. So... But uh, what really prompted this, uh, other than you're fun to, to, to chat with and we always have good conversations, is uh, in July, OWA put out a, uh, or you wrote an article for OWA called Creating Positive Change in Your Life. And um, I read it, I was impacted by it, and then I read the comments and saw that there were quite a few other people that also um, it resonated with and were impacted with. 
And uh, so we said, that's, you know, let's not keep that story on, on a great article on paper, let's, let's put a voice to it. And uh, so give us a little bit of background on, you know, on your upbringing, on you know, just your thoughts on, on creating change in your life. So I wrote that article because I feel like one area that we are lacking, if I can say a little bit in the optometry industry, is that kind of um, realism <laughs> with where people have come from, um, what people's backgrounds are, but also um, just being very real about mindset. Um, so, you know, mindset is crucial. Uh, our mindset impacts absolutely everything that we do in our life. And I don't feel like we talk about it enough in our industry. Um, not only mindset behind career, but mindset in business. I mean, mindset goes into everything. And it's kind of this hush-hush topic, I feel like. And so something that I am trying to start doing within our industry is really bringing that to the forefront, really talking more about mindset and how to create this positive change in your life, how to advance in your business or your career, all by shifting your mindset. So if we go back and kind of start where this article really came from, it, it all stemmed off of the speech that I gave um, at the champagne breakfast with the OWA. And when I gave that speech, I wrote it just being very authentic, being myself, telling my story, and I was floored at how many people really connected with my story. I got flooded after I gave that speech with people writing me emails, blowing me up on LinkedIn, and just saying, oh my God, I have, I've been in the same situation as you, or I have a similar background, or I have a child, you know, who has ADHD or a learning disability and seeing you advance in your career gives me so much hope that my child can, you know, have success too. And it really, really touched me. It really did. And it just validated even more so the thoughts that I was already having about bringing this kind of talk to the industry. It made me feel like, okay, now's the time. Like I got to start really pumping out some, some information here about, <laughs> about mindset. So when I look at myself and I look at my upbringing and, and the things that I dealt with and then where I am now, um, you know, I'm, I'm an adopted child. So um, my story, my adoption story is honestly the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> um, I'm one that really believes that everything happens for a reason and that the universe is going to give you things and put you on a path to connect you with the right people or put you in the right place at the right time. And my adoption story truly is a testament to that. So um, I was adopted right from birth and the hospital that I was born in, my mom, who I call mom, um, she was actually the charge nurse, so the supervisor on the floor where I was born, so in the maternity ward. And so she actually saw me and took care of me right from birth, not knowing that I was going to be the baby that she was going to have show up on her doorstep by social services just a couple months later. Oh, wow. And yeah, crazy, right? So, <laughs> um, so she, you know, I was, I was put up for adoption right at birth. Um, I was a premature baby, um, and so I was born with underdeveloped lungs. Um, you know, just a few little minor setbacks, lived in an incubator for a little while. Um, and that kind of goes into some of my learning disabilities that I ended up growing up with. And um, yeah, my parents could not have children. They were trying to conceive for a long time. And so they went to social services and put up for adoption, said, I, you know, we want a baby. And sure enough, um, right when I showed up on my parents' doorstep, my mom found out that she was pregnant. <laughs> um, so kind of crazy. My brother and I are actually like twins. We are five months to the day apart. Wow. 
So everything happens for a reason, right? That's cool. Um, and my mom had already been taking care of me. She knew exactly who I was when they showed up. So it, it's really a cool story that uh, we were meant to be together. You know, it's that's awesome. Made a wrong stop, right? <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, growing up, you know, having that start, that premature start, um, you know, I was diagnosed with um, ADHD and um, some learning disabilities specifically in the area of math. Um, I just could not do math if my life depended on it. And, you know, even to this day, I'll admit it's embarrassing, but I'll admit, you know, I use my fingers, like <laughs> I'll try to, you know, calculate things out, um, you know, but it's just, it's something that was a struggle for me growing up. And then throw in the fact that I am a biracial female and I was adopted into an all-Caucasian family. I was teased. I was bullied. People constantly said, you know, why do you have this frizzy hair, this curly frizzy hair? Look at your brother's hair. You don't look anything like him, you know? And it was hard. It was really, really hard. Um, and those are things that stick with you, you know, for life. Like those experiences, they stay with you. Um, and so as I got older and, you know, was your average C student um, and I got into college um, and I busted my buns in college and I finally graduated and everything, um, I really started realizing, you know, that I was making it, you know, <laughs> like even with these quote unquote setbacks, um, I was doing it, you know, I got through high school, I got through college and I was advancing and it was because I just put in the extra time that I needed to, but I also stayed super positive throughout everything. I literally held in my heart through everything that, you know, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. This yep. is meant to be. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, there's a plan for me. There's a path for me. And it was these mantras that I just kind of continued to tell myself over and over again that I truly feel helped me to push past all of those limiting mindset and self-doubt and really come out on the other side of everything. Well, um, and so, I, Katie, I, I'm curious, where did you, how did you get those, those mantras? Because I think we've all found ourselves in places where, where we didn't feel uh, uh, welcome, even if it, it, from the outside, it might've looked like we were part of the group. You know, we've all felt that, that um, isolation or, or, you know, I'm not good enough or struggle. Um, but I think the difference in you is, is that I've picked up on is the, all the positivity, right? Um, but the mantras and yeah. how, what, what, did, did somebody teach you that? Was that just inherent? Was that a, a, a culture thing, a family thing? Yeah, so I think it's a little combination of all of those things. Um, you know, my parents, first and foremost, definitely instilled a lot of that in me. Um, specifically my dad. My dad and I were very close, and I think he could see from a young age the struggles I was having, and he constantly was feeding me those positive words, you know, constantly telling me, like, you're worthy, and, you know, you are enough. Um, everything's going to work out. It's fine. You know, I see this vision for you. And he really did. I mean, he. I have a distinct memory of him picking me up and putting me on the counter one day and chatting with me and telling me, you know, I see you literally captivating a room, talking to people and teaching people one day and actually talking to people who have ADHD or who are struggling with, struggling with this and helping them work through it. I mean, my dad told me that. And now it's crazy that here, you know, years later, 
there are aspects of me doing that, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of it was upbringing and then just my own kind of take on things, um, mm -hmm. my own research and study, you know, constantly reading the, the positive quotes, you know, looking yeah. them up online or pulling out a personal development book. I mean, personal development is huge for me. Um, it's something that I have done for many, many years. I mean, since the end of high school, you know, going into college, I started finding different books that were all about, um, you know, uh, positivity and um, just overall wellness, head-to-toe wellness, mm -hmm. mindset, things like that. So I think it's a combination of both upbringing and my own research and then just my own bubbly personality. <laughs> yeah, very cool. What, what are some of your uh, uh, favorite, just, I don't wanna say self-help, but, but, you know, self-growth, self-development? books what are some of the ones that, that oh, come yeah. to mind when uh you cut when out you think about them i'm so sorry i cut out again, you cut oh out. what are some of the uh the self-help books that are self-growth books that, uh, that that you've really liked yeah so let's see um one of my all-time favorites and i know many know it is you are a badass by jen sincero that one's great love it um it starts with why is another favorite by simon sinek yeah. Um, I like Get Over Your Damn Self, if you haven't heard that one. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, lots of Rachel Hollis. So the, the typical, nice. the typical ones. Um, another favorite of mine, though, that I found recently that not so many people know about is The Energy Bus. I don't know Ooh. if you ever heard of that one. I haven't heard that one. So that's a great one. It's it's perfect for people navigating a business or a career, life in general. But it's really really wonderful. I feel for teams to read. Um, you know, it's all about your your energy vampires and the people who are out there that you know suck the energy from you and kind of disassociating yourself with that and really surrounding yourself with with positive people. And that's something that I talk a lot about cool. is that we are the sum of the five people that we spend the most time with. And if you're spending your time with people who are negative, you know, those Debbie Downers of the world, that's what you're going to, you know, be putting out. And that's what you're going to be like sitting with every single day is this negative mindset. But if you're surrounding yourself with people who are really achieving, you know, they're going for gold every day, they're super positive no matter what, that's what you're going to be bringing into your life. So it's really important to make sure that, you know, your crew is, is yeah. positive and not so negative all the time. Cool. I'm excited to read that one. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah. No. Awesome. So I got us off track a little bit. To the uh, so you made it through uh, through college. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> got got through college. You know, finally graduated. All the things. <laughs> yep. Um, and you know, like I just said, you know, pushed past pushed past the the limiting belief that I had around school. You know, school was a struggle for me. If I'm being honest, it was hard. Um, it was hard for me to stay focused and to get through it. I was really great, you know, at all of the extracurricular activities <laughs> and uh, really good with the creative stuff like art and English. But you know, science, math, all that just wasn't wasn't my strong suit. Um, but I got through it and once I was done with that I actually got my degree in psychology with an emphasis in child and adult development and I spent my entire senior year um, really focusing on the next step which for me original plan was going to be to get my master's and do clinical psychology specifically working with children Oh, cool. And I wanted to do that just because, again, of my background, um, you know, having ADHD, having a learning disability, coming from, you know, this adoption story, I really wanted to work with kids who were similar to me and who might be struggling and need a little support. But 
I just realized out of nowhere one day that that wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I just kind of woke up one day and said, I don't know if this is really what I want to do. After, of course, I had written my thesis and followed a, a child with Asperger's for a year and, and did all this study, um, you know, I just decided it, I wanted something different. So um, instead, I went on to become a preschool teacher. I taught preschool and pre-K. Um, and I did it for years, but my position in the private institution that I was working at was a little bit different than a typical teacher role. Um, because of my background um, and my education, I actually worked with the state, and I worked with all the children who had IEPs, um, so mm. children who had disabilities, whether it was learning or actual physical disability. Um, I had, you know, children in my class that had feeding tubes and, um, you know, braces on their legs um, or hips, and um, so severe learning disabilities and so I would work with their state appointed aides to make sure that they were getting you know the care that they needed in the classroom the attention they needed the education that they needed on their level um, etc so I did that for a while um, and then decided if I was ever going to have kids there was no way I could teach preschool for the rest of my life <laughs> yeah. and then go home to my children so decided it was time for a career change and so a uh, cue opticianry and so I was nannying for a family privately a family of three and during that time I started getting on Craigslist so this is back in the day you know when Zoom mm -hmm. wasn't a thing Craigslist was where you went you didn't go to Indeed or anything like that yeah. or Monster.com you know so I, um, I got on Craigslist I started looking for jobs and I saw one that said optical sales in Asheville North Carolina and I thought well I'm good at talking to people and I'm good at sales you know maybe yeah. maybe that's what I should do <laughs> so I you know wrote an email to Dr. Larry Golson and I said hey you know I'm interested in this uh, here's my resume and he wrote me back and said let's schedule a Skype interview so jumped on Skype and by the end of the interview he said Katie I know I should probably take a minute and think about this but I just feel so good about this decision I want to hire you. I want you to come and move to Asheville. And I said, okay. Uh, nice. You know, I was 24 years old at the time. Um, and I had known, like I said at the beginning, I knew nothing about yeah. anything optometry related. I had never sold a pair of glasses before, uh, never done any work in this area except being, you know, a lens consumer. Um, uh -huh. And decided why not and the craziest part about it is I had never been to Asheville North Carolina before um, wow didn't, yeah didn't know anybody there didn't have family there didn't have friends there and I picked up my entire life in Virginia and in two weeks I was a resident of Asheville wow. um, so packed up everything moved down and just got started and I dove in. I dove in so hard. I was so excited for just this new career opportunity, um, you know, completely out of teaching kids, just really excited to, to do something different. And I studied my butt off. It was the first time in anything, you know, education that came kind of I don't even want to say easy, but it came easier to me than the typical school curriculum. Yeah. Um, and I think it came from the fact that I was truly interested in it. Like yeah. I was engaged, you know? Um, and that's the difference, right? Between studying something that you really don't care about and studying something that, that you yeah. get become passionate about, right? You, you get more engaged Absolutely. and therefore it comes a little easier, right? 
Um, so yeah, so I just dove in and I, you know, read cover to cover so many opticianry books. Um, the, the optician's manual was like my Bible. Uh, I literally slept with it. I'm not joking. <laughs> <laughs> I would fall asleep reading that thing. Um, and I decided one day I'm going to take the, um, you know, the ABO exam and, um, I was really nervous about it, to be honest, because mm -hmm. test taking is not my thing. Um, you know, having that learning disability, not only is math not my thing, and if anybody listening to this knows anything about that ABO exam, it is all math. Like, the yeah. whole thing is math. <laughs> um, so I was very nervous about it, but I studied my buns off, and out of six people in our city that went to take that exam, I was the only one that passed. Um, awesome. Yeah, it was, it was a huge milestone for me because it was kind of me telling myself, you know, and uh, the world, if you will, um, that I can do this. You know, it doesn't matter if I have this label of, of being learning disabled in math. I can do this. I can do anything I put my mind to. And if I can sit and I can pick up this book and I can study my buns off and really devote myself to something, I will be successful. And so having that type of positive speak in my life and in my day to day was huge for me. Um, and so, you know, I got that certification and then I was promoted into management within Dr. Golson's office. And, you know, I just, we, we ended up cutting ties. Um, we have reconnected since in other business forms, but we ended up cutting ties uh, in that office. And I moved to a different office for a little while, was put in management there. And then I decided I wanted to open my own business. <laughs> so a lot of different different yeah. things that kind of cycled from from you know getting started in opticianry. That's cool. Well, it sounds like it. it you know, things build on each other, and they're the, the wins help project you to the next wins. At least they do for me when I, I'm struggling with something. If I you know working out, if I can just hit every workout this week, then I'm going to hit every workout next week. Exactly. And, uh, and then that's going to motivate me maybe to eat a little bit better, maybe because <laughs> cherry coke is fantastic. But uh, <laughs> the um, but I, I think sometimes that we we forget the little wins and how important right the it's one thing to have a in my office it took me years to figure this out, but you know I've got great opticians and none of them were ABO certified and I didn't push for it when I when I made a push for it and I saw them fail the test the first time and then make it the, the next time. It, it wasn't so much that they knew much more, but it was their personal self-worth had escalated to, to a higher level. And the value that they gave back to the practice that they were giving to patients, everybody else, was, was less of a technical knowledge and more of a, of a confidence. And uh, they, were, they were able to give more of themselves and, uh, and reach the potential that we had saw, seen in them. So I think, I think that's an important aspect of you know, the little wins. It 100% is, and this is something else that, you know, I talked about in that article that I wrote for the OWA is that, you know, you have to be proud of yourself. You have to celebrate yourself. That's part of that positive mindset and, and making positive change in your life is you do have to celebrate those little win wins because those little wins add up to the big win, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about what you accomplish along the path that's going to get you to that big final victory or that bigger goal. And this is you know something else that I really bring into my life and I like to teach others about is reverse engineering, you know, and actually, taking that big pie in the sky goal that you may have for yourself, whether it's uh, you know career advancement or starting your own business or whatever it may be, and reverse engineering, working backwards to 
you know, hit little milestones to get there. Oftentimes, I feel like people have this big goal and they don't reach it. And the reason they don't reach it is because they're stuck just focusing on the end instead of focusing on the steps on the path, those little stones, to get to that goal. So it's really important to, you know, make sure that you are setting incremental milestones for yourself to get to your goal and then celebrate each each time you hit that milestone you know don't just hit it and then be like okay i did it now let me move on actually celebrate praise yourself you know get excited about it um you know when we give ourselves that self-praise it just helps to gear us up for the next one right absolutely what are your celebrations oh my gosh for your little milestones all right so (laughs) self-care is for me so when i hit a goal of mine on, you know, a little milestone goal, I like to go and treat myself to some form of self-care. You know, I'm a busy mama of two now, and uh, I don't get a whole lot of time for myself. So I will go get my toes done, (laughs) or I'll book a massage or a facial, something like that, Um, you know, or maybe it's a date night with my husband. We don't get to do that often, so that's a good celebration activity, Um, going out to eat, grabbing a glass of wine and, and hanging out. So, you know, little things like that, you know, just to to give myself some time, um, a little, you know, victory party, if you will. Oh yeah, no, I, I, a friend of mine, Ethan Heisman, um, is a, a vision source doc and, and uh, speaks about a lot of contact lenses and he brought this idea to, to me of, you know, have that, that goal. He likes uh, Jordan shoes, so whenever he hits a goal in the practice, he buys himself a different color of Jordans. And uh, it never... Uh, struck me uh, previously to the conversation when he's saying the same thing that, that you're saying is you know have that have not that goal just just not the goal ahead but the award that goes with it yep, so he'll have exactly. the little picture of the Jordans right next to it yep. uh, you've got that like I you know I've got the date night plan I just need to uh to, to check off the box that I've I've won and then I can I can go do it that's exactly right and I'm one where I I write those things out I really do so I have um, a calendar that I'm obsessed with I tell everybody about it it's called the clever fox and it is a kind of goal tracking calendar and one of the aspects of that is what is your reward you know what are you giving yourself at the end of this week if you you know hit these these little milestones during the week and I'm really big into sticky notes I mean you can't see it but all across my computer right now I've got sticky notes everywhere that have you know different things what is the reward going to be you know positive motivational quote over here you know just different things to kind of keep me going you have to put those reminders around so no that's cool I I love that and you had talked about um uh, both here and in your article about being proud of yourself um, and what struck me when, when I read that, because being proud of yourself is one of the, the section headers in big and pink, um, but the first words after that in the sentence is give yourself grace and compassion, which sometimes in my mind I'm thinking proud, you know, the boastful, the big, you know, football proud, um, which is far from grace and compassion. So <laughs> <laughs> how do you see those two, uh, or those three rather, all, you know, working together? What does that, that graceful, compassionate pride look like? So, Aaron, I hate to do this. You cut out again. I don't know if you asked another part of the question. There. Oh, no. Oh, there you go. You're back. You cut out. I'm back. I'm Must sorry. be the, uh, the Wi-Fi here. I apologize. No, it's no, okay. So the, um, you talked about being proud, proud of yourself, and the, uh, in your OWA article, being proud of yourself is one of the, the section headers, um, really big, bold, and in pink. Uh, but right underneath it, it talks about giving yourself grace and compassion. 
And so it, I think those grace and compassion sometimes in our minds stands different to the, the boastful pride that we like to think about, right? The, the football player, the athlete that's pounding their chest type of, of pridefulness. So in your mind, how do you marry uh, pride and grace and compassion all together? Totally. So I think it's really all about, okay, if you, let's say you have this goal and you get to your first milestone and you miss it. Give yourself some grace. Understand that just because you missed it right now doesn't mean you've missed it forever, right? That's the grace and compassion that I'm talking about. Understanding why you missed it is really important so that you don't make that same mistake again, but also not giving up, you know, realizing that you at least made the path, right? You did something. And maybe you even did little steps to try and meet that milestone. You did something to get there. Even if you didn't hit it, have some grace for yourself. Things happen. Um, you know, we don't always hit the mark and that's okay. Um, be proud of what you did do is the most important thing. You know, be proud of how far you did come and then get right back on the horse and keep pushing forward. I mean, there are so many times I think in my life where I failed, <laughs> you know, or I made a mistake and I certainly didn't say, okay, well, that's it. You know, I'm done here. My work is done. <laughs> you know, yeah. instead I said, that sucked, but you know, I'm going to dust myself off and get back up and keep going. And there's, there's no reason to stop, you know, just because yep. I missed the mark once doesn't mean that I give up. You know, I keep pushing forward because that bigger goal is still there. Um, you know, it's still mm -hmm. waiting for me to achieve it. So let's go, you know? Yep. So yeah, I think just kind of having some compassion for yourself and, and really celebrating where, how much, how far along you came. Um, and then, you know, just continuing on the path. I like that. It's funny, in grade school and college, we would get excited, at least I would, when I got a 85, 90% on a test. Yeah. Right? Well, that means I failed 10% or 15%. Yeah. <laughs> but I celebrated the 80%, yet on my workout calendar, if I don't hit the five workouts that week I was supposed to, it's black and white. I failed. You know, I might have only did the four out of the, four out of the five, but I didn't do the week. So it's, uh, it's interesting to me how sometimes in our minds, we, where we celebrate the incremental successes and where we hold ourselves too accountable. Yeah, nope, exactly, exactly. So important. Yeah, no, I, uh, I love it. So how did you um, get to where you're at now with, uh, with GPN and metrics and then, you know, the, the, the powerhouse that that has become within our, our industry? Yeah, so like I was saying on this whole, you know, optical journey that I was on, when I stopped managing, um, basically what happened is I had managed at Dr. Golson's office and then I moved on to another office and was managing there. And I kind of had this revelation that I, I wanted to do something on my own. Um, and so I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Both of my parents, um, although they had corporate careers, they both had their own businesses as well. And so I just feel like entrepreneurism is something I grew up with and so um, it's always been something I've wanted to do is have my own business and when I was in Asheville um, Asheville is a super crunchy town I don't know if you know anything about uh, Asheville Asheville's great it's I love Asheville kind of hippy dippy lots of natural medicine and it was perfect for me because I am an herbalist and um, 
a lot of people don't know that, but I am incredibly crunchy, if you will. Um, we practice a lot of like low tox living in my house, lots of natural medicine, all the things. And um, when I was in Asheville working in the practice, I started noticing that a lot of people were not wanting to take glaucoma drops. They weren't wanting to take, you know, treatment for macular degeneration or dry eye. And it was because they didn't like the chemical, you know, makeup of the products. They just didn't want to put any of that in their body. And so I kind of had this aha moment where I said, huh, what if I created a business using my background in herbalism and my background in opticianry and I made herbal medicine geared towards eye health? So I opened up my first business called the Herbal Spectacle, spectacle like spectacle lens. Nice. And I sold eco-friendly eyewear and herbal medicine geared towards eye health and overall wellness. And I decided I was going to get out of managing a practice and I was going to go to a part-time position at a smaller office. So I found a smaller office in Nashville. I said, I don't want management. <laughs> I don't want to do any of that. Just want to be a worker bee because here's my other, dr my other dream, right? So I, um, I started working my business, making products. I had an online boutique. I also sold my stuff uh, at farmer's markets locally. I did pop-up markets. Um, and then I had my products in some stores as well. And things were going great. And then GPN fell in my lap. So <laughs> I got a phone call one day from my good friend, Mark Hinton. And he said, Katie, GPN is hiring. I really think that you should call them. <laughs> And I was like, oh, Mark, you know, thanks for the offer, but I'm, I'm doing my own thing. You know, I've got a really good thing going. I'm working part-time with opticianry. I'm really pushing the herbal spectacle forward. I'm feeling good about it. And he said, I don't know. I just really think you should call and just see what they're doing. And I was like, okay. And so, you know, I had, I had used GPN's products. So being in the practice, I was an Edge Pro user. Um, Dr. Golson's office, we had the original what I call now the dinosaur of Edge. Um, you know, we had the original Edge Pro product and I knew it like the back of my hand. Um, I was the person who was responsible in the practice for using that software and then reporting back to Dr. Golson, you know, everything that was going on in the business and, you know, telling him different ways and things that we could do to shift buying habits and things like that. And so um, I thought, all right, you know, I do know this product well, let me give him a call. So I called them and ended up talking with Jay Binkwitz for a while, um, and then Evan, um, and then eventually Ed. Ed was like, you know, the, the final decision maker, right? <laughs> it's like, if you made it to Ed, you were doing really well, right? So, <laughs> so I, um, I went through the process of interviewing and everything and found out that what they were trying to do um, was create a, a sales department. So, you know, GPN um, had been doing wonderful just with Evan and Jay kind of pushing forward themselves, you know, selling this product and having a few other internal folks jump in and, you know, do demos and things like that. But they didn't really have a sales department. And so when I came in, um, I was helping them start the sales department. I really was the sales department, <laughs> you know, team of one. Um, yeah. And I worked very closely with Jay, um, very, very closely with Jay to travel all over doing different, you know, shows and pop up little tiny shows to the, the big shows um, and really enjoyed it. And what ended up happening was I was so busy with GPN. I said, 
it's time to put the herbal spectacle to bed. Uh, I just couldn't do both uh, with the way I was traveling. And so I shut down my business legally in 2018, officially joined GPN in 2016. Um, And fell in love with the industry even more. It was like I had that practice experience and I had learned so much in the practice, but being on the vendor side was just exhilarating for me. I really loved it. Um, I loved connecting with people and networking. I loved learning even more about the industry from that vendor um, perspective. But what I really loved was supporting our doctors in the industry, really supporting um, independent eye care and and reaching out to these doctors and showing them the power of metrics and how to utilize metrics in their practice for them to increase revenue. It lit me up, absolutely lit me up. Um, And so, you know, working with Jay so closely in sales and then Um, moving eventually over to our customer success department, um, I was able to connect with clients even more in in that role. So, no, it's very cool. I'm curious what, working on the vendor side after having worked in practices for for a long time, what, was there anything that surprised you when you started working closely with different practices, things that they they knew well, things that maybe they didn't know well, things that, uh, you know, aspects of their business that, that they, they, you know, really had a good hold on or maybe didn't have a good hold on? Yeah, so what I'll say, and, and hopefully this doesn't come across the wrong way, but, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I found out that a lot of doctors honestly truly didn't know how to run their business. Um, you know, diving in on that customer success side of the business and really then educating doctors more than just selling them the product, but getting into their business and seeing, you know, what they were doing, how their staff were performing. I just found that a lot of them, first and foremost, they never had used metrics before to run their business at all. Um, And therefore, they didn't really know what they were doing. Um, They didn't know how they were performing. They they didn't know how to um, take data and then move forward in their business, advance their business, you know, they just didn't have those steps um, of, okay, now this is saying, this software is telling me, you know, that I have X percentage of capture rate with my, with my, you know, frame sales, but what do I do next, you know? So I, I discovered that a lot of doctors just weren't very educated in how to actually, you know, run and manage the business side um, of their practice. They were great at, you know, being a doctor, but when it came to running the business, there really wasn't a lot of of, um, training there. And I found from more and more doctors talking to them about that very candidly and transparently, literally what people would say is, yeah, I go to school to become a doctor not to yep. become a business person, you know? <laughs> yeah, yep. I, I don't think anyone would argue what you just said. The, um, and we can argue whether it's school's responsibility to, to teach students that or not. I, I think school's job is to teach them to be a doctor and pass boards. Yep. And yep. that's what I paid school to teach me to do. And, yep. um, and we learned, learned the business on the side. In fact, I don't think it's changed much since I was in school and certainly not much since my dad graduated, and, and, uh, which is why even at Vision Source, we, I'm here in Houston because we're putting on... Uh, classes about teaching, you know, how to run business. And, and a lot of it is the, the metrics. Um, what I found personally, and I'm curious if you see this, is I, uh, I was very numbers driven, and I like numbers, I like math. Um, so I would get into the metrics, but I would get too deep into the weeds. Yeah. 
and um, and I didn't do a good job of understanding the emotional side, so there's facts and feelings, and so I would get way into the facts, um, and I couldn't see the forest through the trees because I would get hung up on on a few little details, um, where a lot of my staff would manage based upon how they felt. Yeah. They used words like, I feel like we're doing this, or I feel like we're not doing that, and we need to change. Um, and they had, had very little evidence to, to back up their assumptions. And what uh, I learned working with you all is, is I could take the important facts and then what those meant. So just not looking at individual facts, but looking at relationships, and then how those relationships uh, of the facts were affecting the emotion of the practice, the culture of the practice, the sales of the practice, and I didn't need to go from zero to 100 overnight. I needed to increase my capture rate by 5%. Yep. I needed to do this by 5%. And those little changes made us more successful financially, but more successful culturally as well. 100%. And this is something I talk to doctors about all the time. Exactly what you said. You do not need to go like zero to 100 <laughs> to see big change in your practice. You, you honestly should take it slow. Because first of all, and I can speak being an optician in the practice and then being on this side of it, if you go to your staff and you instantly say like, okay, we're changing everything today. Like starting today, we need to, we need to increase our capture rate. We need to be selling more premium AR. Like why are we not selling high definition, you know, progressive lenses? Why are we still sell selling standard? I mean, if you just go in and you rip everybody apart, it truly does affect the culture. It makes everybody feel bad about themselves. It makes everybody feel like they're not being successful. They're not doing right by you as the practice owner. Um, and it can be really detrimental to the morale of your team. Um, and so coming like hot out the gate once you you know get a software like Edge Pro and you start <laughs> learning about the metrics um, and just pouring that all onto your team, it's it's a big mistake, <laughs> a big mistake. And so um, you know making those tiny incremental changes, like what we were talking about earlier, having your big goal. So if your big goal is to have you know a 90% um, capture rate with premium AR, you know, what do you need to do to get there? So let's first mm -hmm. take a look at our staff. Let's look at everybody. Who's doing really well with premium AR sales? Okay, Sarah is. Well, what is Sarah doing? <laughs> How yeah. is she talking to patients? What is she doing? Is it just that she's doing really well because she's actually the main optician and her numbers are higher because she's working with more people? Or is it an even split amongst four opticians and she's killing it because she's having a really good educated conversation with the patient? And so I think kind of digging deeper into the statistics and finding out what's making them up, right? Like what is actually happening in the practice to make the numbers appear the way that they are and then tweaking it from there. So there are tiny things that equate to bigger things down the road that you have to do when you're making shifts in your practice after looking at metrics. And those tiny little milestone goals are huge for your staff when you actually get excited with them. So one thing that we used to do is literally, and it sounds so small, but it's huge, but we would post, no joke, a $20 bill on the whiteboard in the back of the break room. And it was like, whoever sells the most premium AR today gets the extra 20 bucks in their pocket when they leave, right? And so we nice. would have these little mini contests and like, you know, $20 isn't a lot of money, but it's 20 extra dollars and it gets people excited. It gives them something to look forward to, you know, to go yeah. into the day with. Um, and so, you know, having these mini challenges 
based around what metrics you're seeing or what you want to increase in your practice it's a super fun way to engage your team boost morale um, and make them feel good that they were successful right so that feeling aspect like make them feel good that they're successful in their day um, that's super positive and it's only going to make them feel like they can do better the next day right and the next yep. day um, so I think that that's huge too I think I think a lot of practices forget about that. You know, I think they forget about really encouraging their team members in a positive light um, to be more successful. And it's a win-win for everybody, right? Like it's a win for the practice, it's a win for the practice owner, but it's a win for that person too, because they yeah. feel like they've accomplished something. So, no, that's it. That's that's a good reminder. That's where I, uh, I think I, one of my weaknesses or opportunities rather as a, as a leader is, uh, is celebrating the little wins. Yeah, um, I huge. push myself super hard, so it's uh, it, 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 I try to push everybody hard as well. So I, I appreciate that reminder. I like that uh, that little game too. Yeah, right? yeah, something and, super uh, small. That's cool. But it, it does work, and you know, also just empowering the team to look at the metrics too is something that I've always mm -hmm. told doctors. A lot of doctors are nervous to do that. A lot of doctors are like, oh, I don't want them to see my numbers because, you know, they're going to they're going to see the total revenue coming into the practice and they're going to immediately think, well, why aren't I getting paid more? You know, and and my whole thing is that's an educational conversation right there that like you got to turn the lights on. Right. Like it's a, you might see this money coming in, but there's a bunch of expenses. Right. And so I think it's it's a way to educate your team about how the business is ran, because once again, when you're including them in that conversation, when you're actually explaining to them how a business works and showing them their performance on paper showing them you know the metrics involving them in it that's when you're gonna start to see change if they mm -hmm. don't know what they're doing how can they improve right like yep. if the team doesn't know the score you know everybody's out on the basketball court and they don't know the score how do they know to push harder for that next play right they don't they have no idea <laughs> and yeah. so by really incur engaging them and encouraging them through these metrics you know you're going to see an increase in revenue in your practice you just have to be more transparent and i think that that's something that we really lack um, in a lot of practices is that transparency uh, again couldn't agree with you uh with you more the while we were talking and i was listening to you i thought of two uh two things that um uh, personal to the practice one is we had uh it's been a couple of years, but I had two opticians and they were very different individuals and they both complained to me about the other. And uh, one of them said that uh, she was fantastic, very fashionable, very stylistic, and um, she, her sales were, were off the charts. I mean, you know, multi-thousand dollar sales were not unheard of by her at all. And she was upset because her coworker, um, just didn't really sell high-end fashion, luxury fashion. The other coworker would complain because he would sell very core products, um, and but he would have way more sales than his his his, uh, his coworker. And so I sat them both down one time, and I pulled up uh, Edge Pro, and they have they've all have access to it. I, I believe in transparency. Um, they were down to on a monthly basis. They were down to within a hundred dollars of total revenue with each other. Right. And uh, which blew both their minds because they both thought they were better than the other. And I just yep. said, well, if, if you know, you would be willing to, you know, the the high end sales, if she could get past her, her her own, you know, unrealized perceived uh, uh, 
uh, kind of block against selling something that might be core. Yeah. And because uh, she didn't realize she was doing that, I just said, you know, look, all your numbers are super high. Uh, you've got to come down here a little bit and be okay with somebody who doesn't want to spend that much money. Like exactly. They don't need it. Um, and the other guy said, you, you need to push just a little bit harder, right? And yeah. uh, just just push people a little bit. Um, you'll both do better if I can put both of you in a blender. I, I was just uh, about to say, if they could train each other, you know, <laughs> to do what the other one's doing, it'd be skyrocket growth, right? <laughs> it'd be skyrocket, which uh, it, it did for a while. And uh, um, until one of them uh, moved away and uh, and moved on with, uh, you know, their family just left the state. But uh, but it was, it was interesting because the facts were able to get us to a point that, that conversation and emotion never got us to. Um, and the facts were hard to swallow for a little bit. I think they yeah. both had a gut punch they weren't ready for. Yeah. But, uh, but the outcome was, was significantly better. And so they got to learn about themselves and what they do well and then where their opportunities, opportunities were. Um, and then you talked about transparency. Uh, we started doing uh, twice a year. We close down for an entire day, go off site and do a whole team retreat. And I would pull up our P&L, and I won't go line item by line item on everything, but uh, you know I'll show what total doctor compensation is for all the doctors. I'll tell mm-hmm. what total non-doctor compensation is. But the biggest impact for me was when they saw how much our shipping costs were. They got upset, took it over. Our shipping costs dropped drastically because they said we got to fix that. Right? Yeah. The the um, uh, our utilities costs. You know, and all different things when they started seeing how much things cost. So it wasn't a, hey, you're making all this money and where am I not getting a raise? Mm -hmm. They had more ownership of the business than I thought that they had. That's amazing. Yeah. And so when they when they saw where they can help improve things, um, they did. Now, when I made more money, I was able to to give raises because we want to. We want to reward our people. Um, And uh, I just I, I was holding them back by not giving them the opportunity to see where we're going and I think that uh, so now it's just a, a constant hey where we're at you know how is the numbers tracking you know what's costing us more how do we how can we adjust yeah so no I uh, love that I love the transparency there it, it really does go a long way <laughs> yeah. well we want them to be part of the business but they can't be part of something they don't they don't know about and they yeah. don't understand about and they can't you can't affect something that you don't that you can't measure exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> Uh, I, can't, I can't lower your uh, IOP in glaucoma if I don't know what your IOP is. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, it's it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Do you? Where do you see people when they're looking at their their numbers and their? Um, where do you see them struggle? Like, what are the the the, uh, the hurdles that when people start working with metrics and learning about their business? Where where do the where are the pain points? Yeah. So I would say. Um, some big pain points would be with capture rate. A lot of people specifically, you know, and, and not just not just complete eyewear capture rate, but also the AR capture rate. I see so many people who say, oh, pff, we're 99 plus percent, you know, AR capture rate. Everybody gets it in our office. And then they get into the software and they look and they're like, whoa, wait a minute. This is saying we're like 75% what's happening here, you know? So I think that that's one thing that a lot of people assume that they're doing really well in and they're not. And then the other struggle um, area that we see a lot of is patient-owned frames. 
So lots and lots of practices struggle with having patients put lenses into their own frame. Mm -hmm. And in both of those situations, I really feel like that is an educational conversation. Um, I really think that's where the optician and also the practice owner um, need to really hone in on talking about why you want to get a new frame, uh, the warranty, you know, the backup pair, all these different aspects. Um, but then with AR also just kind of like, you know, either having that educational conversation about why you need AR or just bundling it into the price. We don't have to make it hard. You know, that was something that we did in our practice. We, we didn't have a conversation about AR. We literally would just say to the patient, you know, I'm going to provide you with lenses that are going to be, you know, crisp and clear, allow you to see, you know, superb. And that included AR, right? I mean, that, that you're selling AR right there just by saying, I'm giving you a, a nice, crisp, clear lens, right? <laughs> with no, no glare and everything. So, um, you know, we just bundled it into the price. It wasn't this big extra chatter. Um, and I do find that even still now in this day and age, even, you know, besides there's so much education out there about um, optical speak and, and how to properly sell, I still find that practices are line item having a conversation of, well, do you want the AR on your lenses? Do you want the lenses that darken when you go outside and clear back up when you come in? It's like, stop, stop saying that. <laughs> I, I call that the dude, where's my car conversation. Yeah, right. And then, and then. And yeah. Then, yeah it's, it's like, the, don't uh... even go there. Don't even go there. You know, bundle it all together. So I, I do find that a lot of practices do still struggle in those two areas. Um, and it comes down to just making sure that their staff are having a proper conversation with the patients. Um, and also the doctor, you know, doing a really appropriate handoff and really saying, and building up the optician as the expert in that field and that hey whatever whatever you know Sally is going to tell you that you need for your lenses trust her because she knows what she's doing you know it really is a team effort um, and I do see that there's still some disconnect there with some practices of not really not really trusting or entrusting the patient mm -hmm. to the next person in line um, and that's huge on revenue it's huge on revenue um, it is huge. So yeah, I think the, uh, that POF and then a, AR uh, percentage are two uh, struggle areas that we definitely like see. I remember distinctly standing in line at the conference, it was the food line, talking with uh, a colleague, and he uh, was complaining about capture rate and how they're not doing, and he looked at me and he said, dude, it's easy. When you walk them over, all you have to say is, here's Sally and she's going to finish your exam. Yep. And he said, if you don't want to do anything else, you don't even have to talk product, just say, Sally's going to finish the exam. You just took all your mantle of authority, put it on Sally's shoulders, yeah. and you now you now let Sally do her job. Yep. And uh, and that has been genius. Um, so that and and then we we realized we didn't practice. We talked about what we needed to do, but we never role played. Yeah. It's kind of like telling yep. a baseball player how to hit a ball, but never actually letting him do batting yep. practice and then throwing him in the game. Yeah. So between the uh, the role playing and then understanding the simple the simple phrases that were you know consistent and always the same um, it's uh, it, it's still not perfect you know we our capture rate like everyone else's has good months and bad months. yeah totally um, but overall it's it's better than our old good months and better than our old bad months 
Yep. Practicing is huge. And that's, that's another thing is, you know, I think sometimes we get comfortable. Um, we get really, really comfortable in our practice and I'll, I'll pull out my own current eye doctor right now. You know, I just went to the eye doctor last week and I was talking with him and, you know, he, he knows where I work and everything. And, um, Virginia used to be a two door state, so he still functions two door. He has, you know, the practice and the optical is owned by somebody else next door. And we were just chatting a little bit about, uh, his staff and a little bit about the practice as a whole. And he literally said to me when I was asking him some kind of triggering questions about business and he said, you know, Katie, I'm just comfortable. I'm just comfortable sticking where I am. And, and I do hear that often from doctors that don't want to look at metrics, you know, they're, they're just comfortable, but I encourage everybody to get outside of that comfort zone, you know, like think about what could happen if you just stepped a little bit outside of that comfort zone. If you had a conversation with your staff about their performance and not in like a demeaning way or like an anger way, but more of like an educational way, right? Uh, an uplift of what can we do as a team, you know, to really grow this and advance this practice, advance the business together, making them mm. part of it. You know, um, I just think that's huge, but I do find that, that often people are comfortable, um, and therefore they don't push the boundary, but it's, oh, I just think of all the potential that could happen if they push just a little bit, you know? <laughs> well, what about this for those that are, are comfortable? Hire a CMO. Yeah. Right. Find somebody and they're your chief metric officer. Yep. You there you go. It. Right. And, I love that. Uh, I hate going to the gym. So I had a coach and then, I mean, thank the Lord for Peloton. Yeah. Right? There's <laughs> nothing like Adrian yelling at me, telling me to do one more push up. Yep. Right. And that, that dude can motivate like nobody else. Yep. And, yep. Uh, and if I'm really having a bad day, then we jump into a Jess Sims workout and yeah. I'm crawling back upstairs. <laughs> but, uh, um, but I, I think we all need that coach because I mean, the couch is way more comfortable yep. than having to work out. So somebody yelling at me because I'm not self-motivated enough to to lift up some weights. Um, to have the doctors come, I mean, we don't have to do it all. I think that's the other misnomer that we have in, in private practice and entrepreneurship is, is I got to do it all and I have to wear these hats. And it, at first it's a source of pride. Yep. But then I just think it's an exercise in, in futility. You yeah. Can't. No, it's, it's so true. And I, I was just actually having this realization for myself. Um, you know, I, uh, I, um, was working, uh, with a corporate coach and I was having this, uh, kind of another aha moment just a week ago where I realized that, um, I am one, and most of us are, that we, if we're successful, we do have that sense of pride, right? Where we want to do it all because yeah. we want the, the praise or whatever, you know, we want to continue for people to say like, great job, Katie, you know, like you did this or whatever. But really like the next step is truly giving things away to your team and letting them be successful and helping them to be successful, training them to be successful so that the praise now may not be for, you know, me doing the actual job, but me having and training a, success, a successful team, right? Yeah. Um, a team that is able to function and stand on their own two feet and everything. And so I think that's really true in the practice as well. Like you don't have to do everything. You can trust yeah. 
that you are building a team of smart individuals who are fully capable of supporting you in your role as the practice owner. And that was something that we definitely did in the practice was we gave people jobs that went to the bigger goal, the bigger picture. Um, you know, I was that that chief metric officer, if you will. Um, and it was my job to really look at the metrics and then report them to my doctor and tell him what was going on so that he didn't have to do it. And there are people in the practice that are capable of that. And I think that more doctors do need to realize that, that, you know, you have staff that can help you and support you so that you can spend a little bit more time, you know, doing other things, um, whether it's other things in the practice or other things outside of the practice, you can spend more time doing those things. If you empower your team to, to really step up to the plate. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh, it, it's not well understood at an entrepreneurial level, but in, in the corporate world, the CFO's job is not money. Finance isn't, isn't just a money term. Finance is a numbers term and metrics term. Yep. So where are we at metric wise? Where are we at, you know, can we keep doing what we're doing? What do we need to adjust? And uh, CEO is the dreamer and the CFO, yep. I don't want to say grounds them, but really is that they're, you know, CFO is the, the gas gauge on the car, the speedometer on the car. It's the whole dashboard telling you where you're at, when you need to stop to fill up, when uh -oh. you can go a little bit faster. Maybe there a little go. radar detector saying there's no cops around so you can go a little, you know, yeah. speed up, slow down. Yep, exactly, exactly. And that's that's the thing, like the head of the business really should be the visionary, right? Like they should be the visionary. They should be the one that says, oh, what if we could do this or how could we do that? And then you have your team to support you to make your dream come to fruition, right? Yep, no, I, I love it. It, which isn't, it sounds easy, it's not. I'm actually, the, the course we're teaching today here out at, uh, in Houston and for Vision Source is, uh, is moving from a, owning a really good job to owning a, a business, meaning that the business owner can leave for a month and the business still runs itself. Yep. Um, and there's nothing wrong with having a, a killer job. That's, that's fantastic and wonderful, but that's a big step to go from one to the other. And part yeah. of it is developing your executive team. Um, and it's scary. I've, I've got docs in the room here that you know own multi-million dollar practices and are still opening their own mail yeah they're the ones of writing the, writing the checks yep. and they're overwhelmed saying help me and we say well here, here's how, what you have to do here's how you bring people in but then uh, giving up some of that responsibility and the fear that comes with you know what happens if they don't it's a do real it thing well <laughs> holds them back from the the fear of what happens if they do it if they do it better than you yep you know, and, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's tough, and and I think in the in your article you talked about on the other side of of that excuse or that fear is where success is. Yep, it's it's so true. It is literally waiting for you <laughs> on the other <laughs> side of fear. I mean, pushing past that like self doubt, that that limiting mindset, and then also that that fear that no one can do something as good as you can. And that's something, like I said, I've had to work on that myself too. Um, you know, of really saying my team is amazing. <laughs> they, they are so capable of doing things. I don't have to do it all. Right. And I, I do think that we forget that when we're in a leadership role, um, you know, we forget to really empower the team and it's so important. It's so, so important. You, well, Katie, this has been, uh, this has been fun. And, um, and it's, it's interesting when you start getting into, at least for me, when you start getting into the business, how much that parallels life mm -hmm. and how much my life parallels business and, my wife asks how I handle work-life balance and I laugh because I don't see the difference. My work is my life and my life is my work. Um, yep. 
and my family is part of that giant, you know, crazy, uh, enjoyable circle, and, and it's all together because it's, uh, it, it, I enjoy what I do, um, and it drives me just like, you know, being with my kids drives me and, and everything else. So, and but how many parallels there are between, you know, my little metrics on my Peloton app or, or the the different uh, Stravas that I've got you know, yeah. in my life, and the metrics at at, at work and what I do with GPN. So it's. Uh, it's cool to see how the, the two work together and, and the lessons from one help the other. Yeah, no, I, I agree. They really do go hand in hand for sure. So, cool. Well, I will um, certainly put a link to the, uh, the article you wrote in the, the show notes because I think it's fantastic and everybody should, should read Thank it you. and share it. <laughs> Thanks. And, uh, um, and if anybody wants to, uh, to get a hold of you, I will put uh, your contact info as well. Awesome. Um, Thank you. Down there because I think that... Uh, uh, that, that you're one of the, you know, I don't want to say success stories because it, uh, I, I think you've been successful since uh, I've ever met you, but you certainly had an impact on, on me personally and in the practice. And so I think that uh, others need to have that opportunity to, to, to work with you and grow and just, you know, enjoy your energy. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I've enjoyed working with you too. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, have a, uh, a fun rest of your weekend. Enjoy those two little ones. Thank you. And, yes. Uh, I didn't hear any yelling, so your husband did a good job. He did a good job maintaining them. You know, they're quiet, so I'm, I'm a little nervous, not going to lie, a little nervous. <laughs> so, very cool. Well, you take care, and I uh, look forward to connecting again. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks, Aaron.